I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Oh, South Kakalaka! Don't you dare be sour! Clap for your world-famous two-time champs! And feel the power! It's a new day, yes it is! For 12-Pack Radio, get excited, y'all! Welcome back, everyone, to 12-Pack Radio, your podcast source for Pac-12 football news, the home of the Beta Rank College Football Statistical Model. This is a Sharp College Football Podcast. Thank you for joining us. This is Brian Conger, and the Pac-12 season has not quite ended, not quite ended. We went through rivalry, rival, 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 rivalry week, <laughs> rivalry week last week, and here to break down every game that we saw, and there were some, oh boy, howdy, there were some games to cover uh, with me is Mr. Rob Barron from Sharp College Football. Rob. How how are you? Uh, did did you um uh did you survive you know the wrath of the Oregon fans uh, this past week? <laughs> I mean, the, Oregon, the Oregon fans would not have been pleased, of course, with that big Oregon State comeback, right? Holy Moses! Um, yeah, yeah, that was a wall. I mean, that was that like Oregon State. Oregon State steamrolled them at the end. Uh, yeah, I mean, I had a good Thanksgiving. Uh, lots of family in town. Got to sit around and watch a little football too. Of course, it was a it was a fun Saturday. Um, you know, I mean, of course, like it being rivalry weekend, like it's a lot more fun if your team wins than loses. Um, but now it's like we're into full on like uh, Black Sunday happened. Coaching firings have been going on. There's a couple more that have happened today, um, and a hiring's already been announced in the Pac-12. It's like <laughs> it's it's we're into it's like we're because of because like we're already into full silly season. It it is wild. I had a it's just an awful week on like and got burned on a couple of really bad plays. But that's college football, right? You know, you, like I I think on on my if if the spreads, you know, if you really are locked in, which I've just been I've just been treading water this year. I'm still gonna finish above 500, but it it's just um, you know, if if it takes that one play and that like a team not going for it on fourth and whatever, it's probably your fault for. for for betting on said team, but there have been so many instances this year where you're just like you just kind of tilt your head to the side and wonder what what could have been. But uh, we first should cover the openings that we had. I mean, we had David Shaw decide to step down as the coach of Stanford. We had um, Oof, that so, was, I mean that was a shocker. I mean, like that was a shocker. The the thing. So I was I was also shocked by it. Um. The team clearly quit, you know, yeah. like, and, and, and look, BYU basically quit this year and they still walloped Stanford, which kind of shows. and like, I've watched a lot of the Stanford games Now, granted they're on the second screen with the sound off, but there's a lot of David Shaw just kind of looking out into space and not really caring that he's down 21, you know, in the first half. And so like that, you know, that, that makes a lot more sense now, given his decision. The other thing is I, I you know, we talk about our, the cover three podcasts and I think is one of the best national college football podcast in the country and those guys are pretty locked in and you know they had been talking 
about Shaw stepping down or Shaw, you know, looking at the NFL or Shaw. And like the question that I had and, and some of the other people on that show had are like, well, who in the NFL is going to take him? Um, but I do think like, I do think that there's I mean, like, he's a, he's a sharp, sharp guy. Like he, to his credit, took what Harbaugh built at Stanford and sustained it on his own, like with his own recruiting, with his own staff for years. Um, and I think he's well-respected. It seems like I haven't seen him on media, but it, it sounds like he's awesome at it. So I, I think that there's a couple directions he can go. I bet you that there's like an NFL team that's looking for an analyst and he just wants to mellow out for a bit. But I mean, he's given up $8 million a year to, to win four games. So <laughs> and, and, you know, like to, to be fair to him, the rules have changed and Stanford has not. And I can right. see a scenario. Now, a lot of the problems were, were not just that it, it's a stubbornness, a lack of, of will, of willingness to fire your staff, to bring on people that can do the job and all that stuff. But I guess, you know, aside from initial shock, what, what else were your thoughts on that? And who are some people that you think could be a good fit for Stanford? I mean, I thought this was uh, like, to be clear, like, because I think people are running around and they're like, oh, no, like Shaw is he's the writings on the wall and, you know, like Stanford isn't going to be able to keep up. Like, I think some of that stuff's exaggerated, right? Like um, the part that makes Stanford hard and will always make it hard, the, the, make it a hard job is the academics, right? Yeah. But like, let's not kid ourselves. Like they were paying David Shaw $8 million a year. People are running around like, Stanford is like just not going to be able to find donor money for like NIL, and I'm like, guys, like they they don't have to organize 50 car dealers <laughs> to fund NIL. Like Stanford needs to find one whale, you know. <laughs> like, they could just go to the FTX guy, Rob. You know, like <laughs> right, yeah, I mean, it's just it's not it is not a like it is not the same problem. Like Stanford, I I just fundamentally like do not believe that Stanford is like, like those, those chair, like those, those football coaching positions, the coordinator, the head coach are endowed. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So I want to be clear. Like, I don't think it's as big of a deal. I mean, I still think that there's a tremendous, like what I think this staff did really well is I think that they, they really sell kids on Stanford. And so it is an advantage. I think this is a tremendous recruiting staff that Shaw has put together because I do think, I mean, like if you look at it, like they still have a really good roster. The problem has been, and people, I think people always like miss the boat on this one, right? They're like, Oh, football's changed or whatever. Like, no, like the coaching staff changed. Like they lost their great defensive line coach and they stopped being able to dominate the line of scrimmage on defense. Right. And then it was like a slow progression of like every year, Lance Anderson's defense getting worse. And then Mike Bloomgren went to rice and they stopped being able to block. I mean, like the next year they suddenly couldn't run the football and Mike Bloomgren, I think, is one of the more respected offensive line coaches in, in college football, and you can maybe say in football. And he was their he was their offensive coordinator. He's now the head coach at Rice, and is likely a candidate for this job opening. It it just feels like, you know, like I, I get it, but like I just don't like Shaw could not turn around and fire. Lance Anderson, right? Like how many years? I mean, 
years, plural, did we talk about Sean needing to make a change, right? And like he tried to retool the offense at times. They tried to bring, you know, they definitely threw the ball a lot more. Yeah. Tried to take advantage of their, like, you know, the fact that they had recruited so well at quarterback um, and that they did have some talent at wide receiver and, of course, the talent at tight ends. Um, but they never really retooled the defense. And that was the thing that, like, I mean, in the end, Shaw. Shaw is not, Shaw is apparently, and this is okay to re- to recognize about yourself. <laughs> not this is it's not okay to manage people like this. But you do have to have some fear in people that they will lose their jobs if they're not doing a good job, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, like it doesn't it doesn't work if you're just like if you're all carrot and no stick. Um, and Shaw just was apparently the guy that could never have the uncomfortable conversation with his employees, you know, like about the fact that they weren't doing a great job. Yeah, and I, um, I want to give him some credit on the offense. And you mentioned yeah. it, like he changed the offense twice. Like he went from straight up, we're going to run the ball Harbaugh to air raid and then to the slow mesh. Like, I mean, he he he's I appreciated that about him. And like, I think. It, the stubbornness that we, you know, the stereotypical stubbornness manifested itself in the later years in his hiring, not necessarily in his scheme. Like, and I, and I, I want to point that out because I do appreciate the fact that he was trying to change right. and, and evolve. And, and, you know, like not everybody does that. Some people are just like, Oh, I'm, I'm done. And I'm going to go coach at a Mac school, you know? And, and, and he didn't do that. Yeah. Well, and I do think, I mean, I do think for Shaw though, like, you know, he was like he was facing a different challenge, though. I mean, I think this is accurate in that Stanford could potentially lose kids to the portal, right? Like, kids at Stanford's going to have no trouble getting in anywhere. Um, you know, like and, and you know, qualifying immediately, and they have. I mean, for Stanford, it is, uh, and I'm sure it is a significant upfront investment. To find kids and recruit, you know, three, four, and occasional five-star kids like they signed lately and get them to Stanford, right? And so, like, some of the loosening up of restrictions, I think, make things difficult because, like, I, th- I think in particular maybe for Stanford, um, you know, like, the fact that they might also then have to go recruit kids in the portal somewhere else makes it difficult, right? And, and Stanford has far fewer of those kids that are – in football majors, you know? Yeah. Right? Like, I mean, that's, that's like, and this is where, like, people talk about, like, the, how tough it is to get into Stanford. I think part of it is, is like, you know, like, foot, like foot, you know, football and academics at Stanford are not, you know, you're not going to find the, it's not going to be like that scandal. Or, like, in North Carolina is a well-regarded public research institution, one of the best universities in the country. Their athletes were in a bunch of screw-off majors. <laughs> Why? Yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> Why? Be- because the, the time required, I mean, like in, in the academic advisors within, um, you know, the academic advisors that are within the athletic departments are often pushing kids into these other screw off majors. Like Toby Gerhardt majored in mechanical engineering. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, there's just not as much, there's not as, like, there's just not going to be, like, they're going to be. They're going to be too many. There are not going to be enough good players that they're going to. I think that Stanford has found enough good high school players that have the academic credentials that when they put the you know the the football tag on them when they hit the academic when they hit the Stanford admission office they can still get in. I, I actually think it's less likely that they're going to get transfers because once you get into the college football machine, 
most universities are basically keeping you like most athletic departments and, and football programs are keeping you and taking up, you know, you're taking up as like as much of your time as they can and still keep you eligible, <laughs> you know, yeah. still maybe keep you above a three O and they're hiding you in some major that's not going to consume a bunch of your time. Um, and I just like, I think once they hit that, like it actually gets a lot harder to find kids and they're just not going to be able to get those kids in. And that is a challenge. Like, I don't want to take that away. Like people should be aware of that. Like now Stanford maybe can tap into some serious money bags and just keep kids, right? Like once they get them, like pay kids through NIL to, to stay. Um, but it's a tough one. But like, so I was, I listened to the split zone duo. I, I subscribed to the Patreon probably for this this particular month in like this month in particular i should say like yeah yeah where they they know the dirt not the dirt but like the background like they're just rolling through of like i've heard these names i mean because like they're they're pretty well connected and and the names for stanford are are dave clausen at wake um and then and then bone from rice now there are other names that you'll see kicked around. I think that are more spitballing names of like, hey, here this this is a name that I, a reporter, haven't heard anything on, but might be a good fit. Um, but the names that people have heard kicked around for Stanford are, are Kloss and, and Bloomgren. That makes more sense. I mean, Bloomgren, of course, from uh, like the offensive line, and then you know yeah. Clawson, I mean, Wake is a tough school to get into. It's a small school. And uh, and they've been super fun. Now they've they've been kind of a mess on defense, but you take a look at that offense, and I'd much rather have that than what they were running at Stanford in terms of their success. And the ACC, you know, not a great conference, but neither it's the Pac-12. Yeah. So um, that that'd be interesting. And I think they have a better. I mean, I think you probably. I mean, Clawson probably brings almost all of his staff, including his own offensive line coach. He can probably coach those guys. I mean, coach those guys up to be able to hold the line. I mean, it's like. Stanford's offensive line coaching has just become abysmal, which is shocking. Yeah, right? yeah, especially when you take a look at the town. Now, the, it, it was so, it got bad enough that they stopped bringing in those four and five star players. I mean, if you take a look at their recruiting class on the on the offensive line front, it yeah. diminished. Now, you know, it's better than most of the teams in the Pac-12 on paper, but it still diminished over time. He wasn't like banging out top top classes just on the offensive line, and and I think that was reflective of the fact that they don't have their coach anymore on that. Yeah, so that that be that'd be exciting. I mean, like I don't want to spend. I'm glad that we opened with Stanford. You know, it's been a hot minute since we've yeah. been able to do that. Um, you know, there's there's two more openings but, in the Pac-12. But oh, I would yeah. also say, like people, I mean, people forget this about like this is not taking over Oregon State. Even though like the records like that Stanford's in have been pretty bad, this isn't taking over Oregon State a couple years ago or Arizona two years ago or Colorado this year or something like that. Like Stanford still has a like, roster of pretty highly regarded recruits. I think right? the the one thing has and, been the depth, though. I mean that that's yeah. where I push back on. Like you know, a couple guys but, get hurt and then they're in trouble. But I would say like this is not like I mean like you have quality football players already on this roster now you're not going to be able to come in and do the transfer portal you know transfer portal dance and just like totally remake your roster but you know like stanford could be respectable enough to cause people problems with the right coaching staff next year you know like it's they're not going to have like another they're like with the right coach they don't have to go three and nine again you know, like in, as part of their rebuild, they could have like they could be back up to like six or seven wins next year. That'd be that'd be fun. I mean, like a, a Stanford, and we've seen this with Arizona. 
with Oregon State at, at a higher level, with Washington State at a higher level, where those bottom feeders are starting to be fun and like and, and yeah. competitive, and maybe they lose by twenty one game, but they're going to still come back that next game and cause some problems for teams. That that I'm excited about that. I really hope that they hire the right guy because it's going to be it's still it's still a difficult job, but Stanford has a lot of things going for it, and I really do hope they bounce back. The you know the big the big hire is Kenny Dillingham at ASU. Yeah. So, so he's young. He has seen <laughs> he's super young. He's he's seen some stuff though. Like he's probably seen more dirt than than a lot of coaches in the MAC have in terms of just how how the sausage is made. So I appreciate that. But so my my first thought was okay. You know, like I, I guess that makes sense for ASU. He's an alum. Uh, you know, clearly he's been able to rejuvenate Bo Nix and, and make that offense interesting. The, the, you know, the, the, that Kermit, the frog meme, where it's like the, the happy one and the guy with the cloak, the guy with the cloak is like, look at all his stupid fourth down calls and third, <laughs> and just yeah. and getting too cute. Now, I don't know if that's him or if, you know, it's the head coach, but like, I would assume that's the offensive coordinator just being too cute by half. And, and either almost causing Oregon games or literally causing Oregon games. That that part, you know, I'd, I'd feel a lot better if I didn't see like 16 stupid plays like at, at really key moments where I'm just like, you just just run the like, I'm not a like, not a just run the ball up the middle type person. But like, you know, there I, I the thing I, I loved when um, the, the guy that just went to like Toledo or whatever that, to coach in the Mac. Um, uh, oh, yeah. yeah, it's third and three or third and four. And look, I know that there were flaws with that offense, but there were times when, when they needed those yards and you saw a play that was creative, competent and not cute. Right. Like, it's right. like, wow, that was a good play call. And a good example of this is, um, like Oregon state, you know, like they, they, they have Jack Coletto there and I roll my eyes and then all of a sudden they have Jack Coletto there and then they shift and then they hike it to the running, like the the running back, or they hike it to the quarterback, like, and they just throw the other team off. And it's a regular right. play. It was just some window dressing and very smart thinking. And I haven't seen a lot of that sometimes when Oregon needs to do stuff. It's like give the ball to Ty Thompson so he can fumble it. You know, I, it, there's just some weird, weird moments. Um, outside of that, I think I think this is a bit of a risk, but one that you know, it depends on how much they're paying them and how much money they have, like could have some upside. Yeah. I mean, like this is any, like anytime you're hiring a first time head coach, there's risk of course. Right. And like, and, and I'm going to sound really boring and like, I'm going to like hold off on like giving final judgment till we see the staff, you know, which I think is the right call. <laughs> but um, so this is like my first impressions are like, all right, like they, you know, like this is, this is hiring Lanning. This is hiring Jed Fish or Chip Kelly. I mean, maybe not Chip Kelly, but like you're hiring, you're hiring a play caller, right? You're trying to solve one side of the ball and head coach at the same time. Um, with Dillingham, he also happens to be an alum. He's from Scottsdale. Um, you know, like I'm, I, I think the things that I'm most interested to see here, because like, I do think that he can probably get the offense competent quickly. And I'm not saying like top 10 offense, I'm saying, you know, like a top 30 offense for ASU pretty quickly, I would think, um, is that I want to see like the DC hire because like when you hire somebody this young and in particular, somebody who's 
some probably somewhat limited in his network of coaches that he knows. Like, who's he going to get? Like, a lot of guys, when they get their first head coaching job, they have, like, a list of guys that they've talked to. Like, oh, if I get a job, will you come be my, you know, friends that they have in the profession, that kind of thing. Um, I don't know. I mean, like, I don't know who Dylan Gabe's going to get. Like, that's, I think, my first question. And then the other one is, like, he's done some stuff early on to, like, make hires that are, like, clearly – pandering to and i don't mean that in a bad way i think it's a good way because i think asu kind of ignored arizona football recruiting he's got his you know initial hires have been very phoenix oriented for two of his hires but like who are his california recruiters yeah um you know so that's it for me like i want to see like i want to see some heavy hitting california recruiters in there um, cause Hearn went out and made some of those hires. So now those guys were, those guys were out there, you know, beating the bushes and in Southern California, finding players. Um, you know, like I don't think Arizona or ASU is going to make a dent in the top end of Arizona football recruiting until they both win a bunch of games. I just don't think they're going to, keep a kid away from Texas A&M or Georgia or, you know, wherever. I mean, a lot of them haven't been going to USC either, <laughs> you know. <laughs> I just don't think they're going to keep a kid from Ohio State um, until they win some games. Like, they're going to have – they are going to have to go out into California and compete for players and, like, who are his guys on that. But, like, I think offensively they'll be, they'll be fine. What's going to define this hire is, like, can he get somebody in that can fix the defense because the defense is in hot water after this season. They've really fallen apart there. And, you know, who is who, who are his recruiters? Yeah. I, I still think, look, this, the, the hire makes sense. I think it's a risk and it's a risk that is, you know, could be worth taking. He's young. And and I mean, look, there's some really great young coaches. It's just the difference between him and Jed fish is Jed fish is, has bounced around and like in the NFL, he, he was at like six major jobs as offensive coordinator and quarterback coach, right? Like that's whereas Dillingham, um, you know, he's, was he 32, 30, 33? I think he's like 34. 34. Okay. Um, not as much of the experience, not as much of the network. Um, hasn't, I mean, he, I mean, fish didn't run a program. Like, and look, I'm an Arizona alum. I want ASU to succeed. Like I, I do. I really, I think ASU was a fun program. I think a lot of talent is coming out of Arizona. I would love for ASU to build a fence around the state. Like, you know, I want a competitive ASU team. So I'm not trying to troll like legitimately, but I, I do think that there is some risk here where, I mean, we saw it with Jimmy Lake. I'm not saying killing Kenny Dillingham is Jimmy Lake at all, but you know, young guy, first time he's going to make some mistakes. And, um, and to your point, the hiring will tell you right away if, um, if some of the the big pitfalls that a lot of first time coaches run into, um, if he's able to clear those, because we saw that with Lake, we're like, why did you hire John Donovan? That that's just dumb. Like that, that makes no sense at all. So let, let's see. Yeah. Let, let's see. Um, I'm hoping that it turns out like, and if they do, I mean, he is somebody that could stick around for like, I mean, any coach in the Pac-12 can get picked off, but he's somebody that I think could stick around for maybe a year or two longer than, uh, than most right. coaches would. And, and that's that in itself has inherent value. If he ends up turning up, uh, you yeah. know, if he ends up rolling that. Well, seven. And ASU is still likely going to get some NCAA hot water coming their way. Right. Like, you know, they didn't get like the, uh, yeah. What's that group? All, all the basketball schools went to that. Um, 
that little side route that the NCAA created for a little for a hot minute, like the committee on not the like not the committee on infractions. But yeah, like but the, the what? Yeah, like, I know what you're yeah, talking about. Whatever. Like, <laughs> where there's like no appeal, but it, like it makes it sound like really risky, and then it just turns out they've been handing out like slaps on the wrist. Um, like the NCAA is still investigating. Like they don't even have like a notice of infractions yet from the NCAA. Um, and it's going like the regular route. So I'm get like I'm guessing they'll get some real NCAA punishments in there. They probably had to maybe go a little like I think Dillingham fits for a lot of reasons. Um, but there, they you know ASU like a lot of people would probably still be like not all that pumped about ASU. I think in the short run, given given some of the roster issues and given the potential for NCAA sanctions that they're probably still going to get. Okay. You know, the last program to cover, at least for now, would be Colorado. And we talked a little bit about Coach Prime, and then but lo and behold, he comes out, and it's it's kind of basically common knowledge that he's been connected by the University of Colorado. Yeah. I still, I'll, I'll believe it when I see it, because there are, uh, are <laughs> other programs he could go to that I think have more going for them at this point in terms of their commitment to the sport than Colorado. <laughs> But, you know, like it it happened and clearly, clearly Colorado's interested. I think it'd be awesome if he made it, you know, made the jump. But I don't know. What do you think? I mean, because like the initial reporting that like the, you know, Godfrey Split's own duel is doing was that like, you know, that uh, Gary Patterson had been to Boulder to interview. Tom Herman had been out to interview. Um, And all of that chatter within the last two weeks has ceased. And it's it's just all come down to, to Dion. Like he's, um, he's clearly where Colorado has the most interest, um, you know, and like, it's, I mean, it is interesting that if it's been two weeks that they haven't gotten the deal done, I mean, he's still coaching, right? Like he's still, it's still ongoing. So it might, this might require till after, uh, this weekend, which is the, um, uh, championship for the, uh, um, historically black colleges and universities in an FCS that he's coaching in. Um, and his team's favored by a lot <laughs> in this game. <laughs> so he might, they might be waiting uh, to announce after that. Um, you know, but yeah, it's, it's, it seems to be Colorado's really fixated on it, you know, and like, I mean, they were taught, like they did a big thing today about, of course, like the whole Lane Kiffin situation, like falling apart and blowing up in Auburn's face. And like, they really thought they had Lane Kiffin. Um, and then it turns out they sort of didn't have a plan B. They hadn't thought that far ahead. And so they're like, they've sort of stumbled into Hugh Freeze. So like, let's hope for Colorado's sake that it's like, if they really have settled on Dion and they've like sort of like stopped talking to anyone else, that they actually get him. Because like scrambling around at the last minute, be like, oh no, is, is, <laughs> yeah. is where you can make real mistakes. Yeah, that, that's where Carl Drilla pops his head up again and says, that's yeah. still available. Uh, yeah, okay. All right. Well, we'll keep a lookout for that. I, I, I'm curious how long ago Liberty Bibbity figured out that uh, that their coach was gone because they were a 24 point favorite and just got waxed by New Mexico State, one of the worst football programs in the oh. nation. Holy goodness, that was crazy. So uh, you know, I think there's some stuff under the surface that you know that gets that gets uh, brought up. So well, we'll keep a look at that. You know, there's a lot of uh, movement, right? You got, um, I think, the Pac-12. For the most part, if you like your coach, you got to root for more NFL guys like Matt Rule <laughs> getting hired at top places. So there yeah. isn't that big carousel, but it's coming, man. It's it's coming. So 
Uh, we'll keep a look out to that. Like, look out that you had tweeted about Rolovich to Liberty. That totally makes sense. Like, and and he will be good there. Like, that's the like, that's what Liberty does. They find they find guys that damaged goods, <laughs> like legitimately full on damaged goods. <laughs> and they happen to I mean, just... not like damaged, like toxic, like legit toxic. Right? Like, I oh I, my would, God. Like, I would argue that Hugh Freeze a little bit more toxic than Rolovich in terms of what oh, his no. record, I mean, like, personal yeah, record. Is like I mean, like you know, like Rolovich is less. Rolovich is less toxic, particularly probably in certain parts of the country, um, outside of the Pac-12 footprint, <laughs> than he would be in it. But yeah, uh, holy! Qu- I mean, like Rolovich is going to be toxic too because he's like in a huge fight with like a lot of athletic directors are like, oh, I don't want to hire somebody that's going to be a pain and later come back and sue us, like. <laughs> Yeah, that, I, I'm I'm interested to see that. I'm interested to see if Jade Delora follows him. Just I'm just bookmarking that for a moment uh, because. Uh, are you are you secretly hoping for that? I'm I'm not gonna lie. Like I like I I am like the I'm the Arizona fan that's like uh, I'm. We talk like I'm like the, the like the good Delora, the bad Delora roller coaster. I'm like I could do without it. Like if he got beat out, I wouldn't be sad. <laughs> <laughs> Rob, I love the game of craps. Like and, and and so I'm I'm all in on Delora. Like I want the high highs and I want the low lows, man. Oh, man. <laughs> there is, there are, the lows are so low, so so low. It is a it is an inexplicable thirty yard sack followed by an interception. <laughs> uh, but but at least at least I could feel again, you know. Like after, yeah. after the, the Kevin Sumlin years. Uh, all right, uh, that that's any any other news in the conference that we should cover before we review these games here. No, I mean like I, I and what I think is is probably good for the conference is that there's also probably I think if you look across there's not likely to be any poaching going on uh, of current you know the current coaches. Some of you like you kind of feel like they're a really good job, right? Like people were I don't think Lanning was like going to be in serious consideration at Auburn. DeBoer's name has not been kicked around um, either, you know, and so that, I think that's a real positive for the conference because that's something we're likely, unfortunately, going to be facing in the future. Gosh, DeBoer—that's the one to the Washington fans like smoke him when you got him, man. Like, yeah. he is awesome, and I I hope he sticks around as long as humanly possible. So that guy's won everywhere he's gone, like including the lower divisions too. So it's been uh, that that that's one that's going to uh, be on some radars next year. But uh, let's hope he sticks around for more than that. All right, let's get to these games. Uh, we'll review all of rivalry week. We'll talk about the Pac-12. Championship. Let's do it right after this. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to the deal on Spotify. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. 
With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. All right, we're back. We're talking Pac-12 football. We're talking rivalry week. And boy, how, this is just a bonkers week of football altogether. And um, and it was a delight. I lost money this week, and I it, I didn't it didn't matter. I was just I was having the time of my life because it was just so crazy to see what uh, what the you know college football had in store for us this week. Well, let's get to the championship game at the end since there's only one. You know, normally we talk about the teams that played and we do all that stuff, yeah. but let's get to that at the end and let's just dive into it. Um, there was a lot of key games here this week. We had the Apple Cup. We had the Territorial Cup. We had uh, the Plata, whatever the Platypus Civil Trophy is, the the Civil the, <laughs> the civil Servant Trophy or whatever they want to call it. Uh, it's, neither, it's neither war nor civil. Yes. <laughs> yeah. uh, Notre Dame, USC. Let, let's start Let's start with USC. And and I'm kicking myself, Rob, because I, we've watched basically every USC game. And we saw the fact that USC was on an upward trajectory, even though the defense wasn't as, as strong. And Caleb Williams, the odds for him for Heisman, even a few weeks ago, were like stupid. It was like 1,600 or 5,000 or something like that. Um, he's the favorite now. And he's out there doing poses. And he should. Because <laughs> he, he, he oh stunted, like he was stunting on Notre Dame, like it was bad. <laughs> now it worries me a little bit um, in terms of the offensive line for for USC because he's had to do some of this, like you know, Jaden Delora, but like a competent version of it, where he's running around and he's just, and then he's throwing darts to people like right in that. Like the thing with Jaden Delora is he runs around and then like he'll throw the ball and you're like, dear Lord Almighty, I hope that goes to somebody. When Williams does it, I'm like, oh, somebody's open and he's gonna hit him in stride. <laughs> like that's how good he is. Um, another just bonkers game, you know, not as t- not as. Um, not as awesome through uh, the the air, you know. Uh, Two thirty two, you know, it wasn't like he was really lighting uh, Notre Dame up, but like he did what he needed to do, and he was able to move around by time and just be himself. And uh, and I'm so excited we get to see him next year. Th- this was a big win. I thought Notre Dame was going to be able to, and in credit to the defense, because I thought Notre Dame was going to be able to run this ball. I didn't know if they would win. I thought they had a chance to win the game if they were able to control the, the, the possession. Like, I get it. Time of possession is stupid when you can just throw down the field for 70 yards. But I thought Notre Dame had a chance to really make USC earn this win. And at the end of the day, like, I thought this was a convincing win for Notre Dame. They came out – or, I'm sorry, for USC. They came out immediately in that first quarter. They got points, and they did what they needed to do to keep this game out of reach. Yeah, I mean, I thought – the, the one of the really good things for USC in this game was was how well Williams largely played. I thought his his ability to buy time was really good. But I think to your point, like there's two concerns that came out of this game for me. One of which was I thought to your point the offensive line was a little worrisome. He he had time a lot of times though. What was more concerning for me was like I'm not sure guys are getting open. You know, like part of him holding the ball for so long is like guys were not necessarily like Notre Dame has a decent secondary. So let's like, but that's probably, I think, like schematically the bigger concern for USC is like you have all these talented wide receivers and, and, you know, Notre Dame was able to make them, you know, make them work for it a bit downfield. Now, Williams, of course, like would scramble around and then like make some. A completely bonkers throw, you know. Yeah, um, and and it would all be fine. 
I, mean, I thought USC ran the ball really well. Um, and I think part of what the reason they ran the ball well is I think Notre Dame was dropping guys, you know, and playing off to like try to take away USC's wide receivers. So I thought Austin Jones being able to, to really, I thought, run the ball pretty effectively. I mean, putting up 154 on 25 carries, and he only had like a long of 24 yards. So it wasn't like he was just, it was all one big run. Um, I thought that really helped. Um, but like the flip side of it is like, look, like you have people are like applauding the USCD. Like this was robbing Peter to pay Paul. You know, like they brought men down into the box and they got freaking smoked by Drew Pine. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. <laughs> like, so like, yeah, the run stats didn't look so bad, but like Drew Pine, they made Drew Pine look like Drew Brees back there. Like, <laughs> for like, I think we were into the second half before he threw an incompletion. Um, 23 or 26, 318, you know, three touchdowns, like he averaged 12.2. I mean, he's not a great quarterback. He is in no way getting drafted. The only player in that entire pass catching core that's getting drafted is their tight end. Yeah. Who's awesome. (laughs) Who is awesome. Yeah, it was great. But like Notre Dame doesn't have great receivers. They don't have a great quarterback. And um, I mean, that's like, look, US, like, and USC is going to have to pick their poison a little bit more, you know, this week against Utah, right? Like, Utah is a little more balanced running the football, throwing the football um, than this Notre Dame team is. But, like, this was a great win, I, I think, for USC. Like, offensively, they really showed um, – because they have at times struggled against reasonably competent defenses. You know, like, and I'm not – like, Notre Dame doesn't have a great defense, but – USC has walked face first in front into a wall of a reasonably competent defense a couple times this season, like Oregon State. Um, and I, I thought USC like showed what they needed to show in this game. Yeah, and I, the last note that I'd have is I know that there was some chatter about oh Austin Jones like you know you know it doesn't matter that dies out like I I disagree and I I can oh, yeah hurt. yeah well I know like that the fact that Jones did so well I think highlights your point of they were dropping players and Jones was able to take advantage. Like die is better than Jones. And I've watched both of those players for multiple years now. Um, like Troy die being hurt is a problem. Um, I think Austin Jones is fine. And I know they have wide, they have running backs behind him too, that are, that are interesting, but die, I thought die brought more. And I'm curious to see what this team does. Hopefully knock on wood, right. When they make the college football playoff, because, I, I think there's a chance that USC just gets smoked by a team that can actually play defense. Um, and, uh, and, and, and I mean, like we kind of saw what happens sometimes, like when they played Oregon state and I think die is, is, is a, him being out is a problem. And I, I, which it is a bummer too, because he's awesome and it was fun to watch him. And he clearly cared about being at USC after four years of, or three years at Oregon. So anyway, I just wanted to highlight that because that could be a bit of a problem in the future. I, I'm not as high on the Austin Jones train as I think some other people are. Yeah. Uh, I mean, look, if, if Utah is able to, I'm not sure this is like a sustainable strategy against USC, no matter what, particularly because Utah has significant pass rush problems, which we're going to get to in covering the game. But, like, if USA, I mean, if Utah were able to sit in man coverage and largely take away the receivers, um, you know, like, that could really put USC in a bind. I'm not sure Utah's got the, like, pass rush to be able to do it, but, like, Michigan or Georgia does. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, That that uh, that's not a great matchup for them. Let's, let's move on, and let's do the Apple Cup. So... 
Uh, I had the chance to watch this with a uh, with our good friend Ryan, who's uh, listening to the podcast, and and that was that was fun for a while. I mean, it was still fun, but it was more fun for a while when this game was competitive. And then all of a sudden, I mean, gosh, man, Washington's offense, sixteen points in the fourth quarter just to close out the game, and it just kind of it it like Washington State is is a good defense now I I think there are weaknesses in their secondary and we saw that right um the the I think the right side of that secondary is stronger than the left side and you saw that left side get lit up a little bit more in this game I mean Penix I'm, I'm glad Penix is getting his due right you're starting to see Washington push for him to at least be in the Heisman you know the, the top five votes and stuff and, and and he earns it like he's awesome and and it's just it's fun to watch that offense. And again, like there have been so many times this Washington team where it's third and eight, third and six, and, and maybe, maybe it's a, a problem with the offensive play calling that you have to keep backing it up to third and eight and fourth and three and fourth and four. But man, like we, we were just talking about how Dillingham would just like get too cute to get those, those first downs. Washington just straight up finds open guys and just passes it to them. And it's really amazing. to yeah. watch. No, no, I mean, Washington's passing game is unbelievable. Um, and Penix, I mean, Penix truly had himself a year and had himself a heck of a game in the Apple Cup. Um, I, mean, like, I mean, like, the main difference again, I mean, like, uh, I mean, like, Penix is 25 of 43. Cam Ward was 33 of 52. Um, you know, I mean, like, Penix was just hitting – Deep ball after deep ball after deep ball. I mean, look, I mean, I, I think Washington went out in this game and they did not try to get cute. They did, to your point, like, they did exactly what they do well. They're like, listen, like, we're going to take some deep shots and we've got three shots to get a first down and we're probably going to get one of them. Yeah. 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 Like, they did get some rushing yards. They certainly got some rushing yards mixed in there. I think as, the Cougs found themselves getting lit up through the air. Like it, it definitely opened up. Washington doesn't have a great running game, but like, I mean, they, they really just say like, they were like, Washington is so good through the air. They basically took, took the top, like repeatedly took the top off a pretty good defense that just doesn't have the athletes, I think to cover and doesn't have, I mean, particularly with, not every quarterback in the league has the kind of arm and accuracy that Penix does downfield where you can just absolutely smoke the defense like this <laughs> Washington did. Right. And that is a dangerous weapon. Like, I mean, this isn't like when you're playing like Delora throws a lot of deep balls. This isn't like playing Delora. Right. Because a lot of those are going to be inaccurate. Right. Like Penix is going to hit those passes. Um, and that, like, it, like Washington State sort of kept up, you know, through the first half. Um, and I, I mean, I, I think the real problem was in the second half is that Washington, I mean, Washington State's, I mean, because you could see it in the first half. It was trading shots. Like, and, and the question really was, like, could Washington State keep up? Yeah. Like, it's a really, really bad Washington defense, particularly against the pass. And for an offense that, you know, like, throws the ball around a lot um, and had a reputation for throwing the ball around a lot at the FCS level coming in, I mean, this is a this is a really bad passing defense. Like everybody has lit up the Huskies throwing the football. Like Washington State stunk for large parts of this game. I mean, the, for almost the entire second half, 
moving the football through the air against one of the worst pass defenses in college football. Was was Ward a grad transfer? Is he coming back next year? I think he's back next year. Yeah. I'm wondering if they... <laughs> yeah. It, like, well, well, even now, I think some of it's the quarterback. I think some of it's also the play calling, though. I mean, like, I mean, yeah. I mean we've, and we've talked at length about it. It's just, I think the one thing to just look, I mean, here's the, here's the difference right here, right? Like, Washington had three wide receivers that almost caught 100 yards, and two of them caught more than 150. <laughs> like they just yeah. smoked this team through the air, and uh, and 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 I think that allowed like Talapapa isn't isn't normally yeah. going to get you, you know, 100 yards in a game. Like he'll get you 70, and he'll be efficient. He got 126 because Washington State just had to stop everything, and it, it just yeah. you know, this game kind of got out of hand. I'm I'm excited. Like again, I'm ex. I'm I'm bummed because some of these bowl games don't matter. I'm curious to see who Washington plays because I think that could be fun and I think this team will show up. The the last thing that I'll mention is that you can run against Washington and you can throw against Washington and Washington State did did didn't run the ball very well in this game and uh, no. so I like I don't know how much weight I'm going to put into that when Washington plays their bowl game um because I still think this defense really stinks but I think it's again. It's like highlighting the Cougs probably need to make a change to that offensive coordinator position at the very least. I mean, take like a, like a, like the offense an offense like say Arizona or Arizona State like that lit up this Washington. Yeah, <laughs> it's like yeah. both like um, neither of those have have great offenses. You know, like Arizona is one of the most improved offenses in the country, but they're not great. Like they're a middle of the road power five offense, right? Like Arizona State's like a bad power five offense. Like this Washington State offense was hideous, and I, like I had some Coug fans pushing back on me on this on Twitter, and they're like, "It's the first year of the NCAA. Installed, like they're moving between systems. I was like, no, 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 my friends. Like we covered this. Yeah. Like we covered the hard transition is from the air raid to the shoot. <laughs> like mm-hmm. transitioning to the air raid the other direction is pretty easy comparatively. It's a lot of reps, right? Like yeah. on on a, on a couple plays and very few option routes. Um, there's less to like, I mean, they're like, Oh my gosh. Like, I mean, it's the first year of install and like, yeah, there's some player issues. I think they have some personnel issues on the offensive line. They have some personnel issues at receiver, but I came away from this. I'm like, I'm not sure Eric Morris was calling plays when he was the head coach at our incarnate word. And I don't think Cam Ward's working as an FBS quarterback. The the last thing, one, one more thing to mention about them, because like one of the Washington state fans have pointed this out and he's right. Like they don't have a wide receiver that scares me. On their entire yeah. roster. Oh, yeah. Like yeah. last year, you know, it was Travell Harris who was I'm like, oh, that guy's awesome. There's nobody on this team where I'm like, oh, that guy's going to smoke somebody this game. They're all fine. They're all like, right. you know, which which keep an eye on that as they recruit right now. Now that Leach's players are coming out of the system, who are they bringing in? That's actually going to catch passes because say what you want about Leach, but he did a great job recruiting, uh, particularly at the offensive line and at wide receiver. And yep. those guys yep. were all like, for the most part, three stars. He got some four star wide receivers in there every once in a while, but for the most part, he just knew who he wanted and he found them and he, and he built them up. So we'll, we'll keep an eye on that. Let, let's move to, to Utah. <laughs> Poor Utah. Every freaking week. It's ba- like, they've had two big games all year and the rest of them is like Utah 60, you know, dumb team five. <laughs> like it's basically their entire season yet again. Oh my gosh. What was it like 42 to nothing at halftime? And uh, and you know clearly Buffalo uh, the the Buffs rolled over, but it got a little worrisome. Where I'm like, am I gonna? Because 
the spread was like 30 points. Like every spread of Colorado is 30 points. And I'm like, is Utah going to care so very little that Colorado is going to come back and cover the spread? Uh, turns out the answer is no. But there, there was a moment where I'm like, oh my gosh, am I going to lose the stupid spread? Because why, you know, Utah put in its seventh, like seventh string players in this game. I, I mean, like, again, not a lot to mention. Um, rising three touchdowns, you know, through the air. They rushed the heck out of the ball. But I mean, like you watch this Colorado team and they, I mean, they rolled over against Washington and they did the same against Utah. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there, I mean, I feel bad, like there's just not a lot to talk about from this game that you can like take away and apply anywhere else. Like, you know, Utah showed up and absolutely dominated a Colorado team. Like I didn't even know who Maddox cop was. You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like I'm going through the like you go through the names here like and I watched like highlights of this game like you're like who are these people like I, I didn't even remember like there are people who are like if you looked at the Colorado too deep at the like even like not just the beginning of the season like the middle of the season some of these names weren't even there <laughs> <laughs> so it's been a year it's been about ten years within a year for Colorado. Um, you know, I think for them this this season. So, I mean, I, and this is this is a brutal game for them to have to finish the year on. It feels like too because they're just they are, you know, like getting getting a good team. I think too is uh, to to finish out is, is is tough. Like they, you know, getting a good team like 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 Utah, as opposed to like a, a like a one of the bad teams within the you know, like Stanford or something like that's kind of a bummer for them. Yeah. Well, we'll move on. I mean, like, and we'll talk about Utah and Oregon here. So uh, we don't want to linger too much on this. Just complete destruction. Uh, let's let's get to the remaining games from the previous week and to the Pac-12 championship. And let's do it right after this. All right, we're back. Let's get to it. Let's get to it. You know, everybody's been waiting for this, Rob. The Oregon State Beavs, 38. <laughs> Oregon Ducks 34. Uh, um I I was so the only thing that I know from this game. Well, I, I should I should back up. That's that's not necessarily true, but I, I was out with uh with the family. So this was the one game I was so bummed because this game was just awesome and I was following on Twitter the whole time. Um I I, I uh, tell tell me what happened. Yeah, like I, I, mean, I was following, you know, our friends that cover the Pac-12, but I mean it looked like this game was over and and then it right. wasn't. And, you know, you take a look at the box score, uh, Ben Branson, six for 13, 60 yards and two touchdowns. And then you t- kind of take a look at the rushing yards. Yeah. Oregon state had a lot, but it doesn't seem like that. If you open this box score, it doesn't look like they would actually have won this game. What happened? It's 31, 10 at one point, right? There's three minutes left in the third quarter. Um, <clears throat> Oregon's, you know, Oregon's just kicked a field goal. Oregon State gets the ball back and, and really quickly, you know, in four plays, gets down and scores a touchdown. All right, it's 31-17 still, like, not a problem for the Ducks. Like, they put together another drive, takes you to the end of the third quarter, and they kick another field goal. So it's 34-17. They're up three possessions. They're up, they're, you know, they're up 17 points. Oregon State gets the ball back again, and it's – uh, in this case, they have a huge return. 
So Silas Bolden returns at 48 yards. <laughs> so like <laughs> all of a sudden, like Oregon State's like cooking, like the crowd's getting into it, right? On top of the return, Oregon gets a face mask penalty. Oh no! <laughs> <laughs> so like it's first and ten on this drive from the Oregon 36. <laughs> so like like again, like quickity quick, they score like they're in, they score a touchdown. It's now 34. 34-24, they're down 10. Oregon fumbles the snap on the punt because, like, they go they go three and out. Um, they're just going backwards, you know, nearly the whole time. Like, Oregon gets a, a holding call on the kickoff. They start the, they start the drive on their own eight. Like, research, half of Research Stadium is going bananas at this point. Um, Bonix, you know, like, there's a cut, like, has two incompletions. They run for five yards. But then the punter just fumbles it. Oh, my gosh. Um, and Oregon State gets the ball then on the two and punches it in. <laughs> um, Gilbertson runs it in. Like, they try to do the jackhammer, and he got stopped at the one. Then Gilbertson punches it in on a QB sneak. Um, they're down three now. It's 34-31. And uh, so, they've, they, you know, Oregon gets the ball back. They could. You know, like, there's not that much time left, you know, like, you know, like, well, there's there's not enough time left where, like, Oregon can just salt the I mean, there's too much time left for them to just salt the game away, right? Like, they need to actually try to do something here. Um, but they're just unable to. Like, the Beavs defense, like, shows up, stuffs them running the football. Um, you know, like, they're, they're unable to, they, you know, they end up going backwards after they get their first first down. Um, you know, and, and, you know, they're only like, they end up punting it, um, back to Oregon. Um, or no, they don't, they end up going for it. It's fourth and one. I'm sorry. It's fourth and one. They Bo Nix tries to go for it. <laughs> like, and again, like Bo Nix, it seems cursed on like fourth and one calls. Um, it didn't work. He, so they, now they've handed the ball back to the Beavs. They get the ball at the Oregon 28. And punch it in, you know, like in four plays, like, God, there's a lot of like very short drives to the bees here. They punch it in. They're up 38-34. Oregon gets the ball back. In theory, they should be able to drive the ball, um, and they take a lot of time. They go 12 plays, 72 yards. They're down four, so they can't just kick a field goal. Um, they get stoned at the Oregon State three. Like, so they get inside the 10, you know, they have first and goal at the Oregon State 5, um, and four plays later, oh there's an incomplete Bo Nix pass, and, like, the Beefs take over, you know, uh, and, and are able to salt the game away. Like, I mean, like, Oregon, like, came as close as you could to win it, I mean, but just blew it. I mean, like, everything that could go wrong did go wrong. That's wild. And, you know, and like, it's, and it's always a bummer because if you're an Oregon fan and you look back at the game, you're like, we should have won this game. And, you know, when it's special teams plays and fumbles and just, and, you know, credit to, to Oregon State, right? They had to convert all that stuff into points and they were able to do it. I guess, like, that that gives a little bit more context to that fourth and one call. Because, you know, I'm, I'm looking at stuff and all of a sudden I'm like, did Oregon just go for it on fourth and one on their own 30 when they're up in the game? And, and they did. I mean, yeah. I... I know, like, th- th- I guess we can talk about this, and, like, we'll we'll just briefly touch on the UCLA game because there was, there was something similar here, too. Now, UCLA won their game 35-28, but 
is that the right call? I mean, I know I know Oregon State was kind of moving the ball, but but they were kind of moving the ball because of special teams plays, and I don't know, man. That that's that's pretty I ballsy. Think, I think he thought. I think that. I think landing. I mean, it looked like Oregon for the most part has a good defense or a good offensive line, um, but I don't think that they have like the world's most interesting play calling. You know, on these, and like, uh, and I, and you know, we've seen it twice with both Washington and Oregon State. Had it kind of figured out that Knicks was going to have the ball, um, and and I get it. Like, if you have a mobile quarterback, you know, like having you know, Knicks is a pretty good sized guy. Having him run the football instead of handing off to the running back potentially gives you an extra blocker that you can use, or a running back that you can use as a decoy. Um, I mean, I get, I do get like both with these. Like, I I do understand if you have a really bad defense, giving the ball back to the other team is a huge risk. It is a much bigger risk than even having like a decent defense and doing that. Um, and so, I do think like across the Pac-12 this season, you have seen more coaches with bad defenses willing to take bigger risks on fourth down, just knowing that they they are probably giving up points. Um, I think what Lanning wanted to do was like if he got that first down again, like, keep the drive going. Like he felt like he could maybe salt the game away and like stop the momentum. Instead, it ends up being this huge turning point that like, turns momentum very much in the game. Ah, oh, that's great. I mean, to, like, c- congrats to the Beavs. It's been a heck of a year. What a what a bonkers what a bonkers game. Oregon, you know, probably goes into their second Fiesta Bowl. <laughs> Where where the ducks sitting on the grass playing with his toys because neither team cares about the game. What a bummer! I mean, like this was a team that was poised for the the college football playoff. You know, they they drop it to Washington, they drop a game to Oregon State, and here we are again, like where it's a good, not great team with a good, not great record. Um, you know, meet the new boss, same as the old boss. Like I, I do, I do think that this program's in better better hands. Like the offensive play calling is, you know, as much as we've been mad about the uh, the play calling and, and some of these big big moments but for the most part a more creative play calling um i think but the they suddenly team- find themselves having to replace a star and dillingham's not sticking around for the bull game like he's two asu starting immediately um so that's uh, i'm oh. interested to see who they've got because like look i mean like the defense hasn't worked in season one with landing um and i think I mean, we've seen this before. Like, you know, it's it's Oregon's got plenty of money. They're going to be able to go out and get somebody good. Um, but how good? And is there any fall off? Because I mean, I think rightfully you could say Dillingham's really, really good this year. For the I mean, there's some perplexing play calls, but overall, yeah. really good offense. No, I to- totally agree. That that's going to be one of the biggest hires of the year. Um, if you know, because I, I think Oregon, gosh, every like they get so close and like. And, you know, how many times have we heard, oh, our wide receivers are really good, and then they, they aren't? That wasn't the case this year. They have some legit yeah. stars, and, and you're right. Yeah. Like, Dillingham really was able to um, make this offense vertically what we've – I think what we've wanted it to be. I think Bucky Irvin, Irving's been a revelation. The offensive line is still there. There's a lot of pieces here, but it just sucks, right? right? Like, if you're an Oregon fan, this is a bummer because, you know, you get waxed by Georgia, and then Oregon really just rolled off some massive wins, and and here we are again at, like, a – a good but okay bowl, and um, I mean, I mean like, they could have wrapped up. I mean, they could have wrapped up playing USC in the Pac-12 championship with this game. Yeah, I mean, wow. 
<laughs> uh, all right. Well, we'll we'll leave that one alone for a little bit. Like I, I do want to break down these teams on who who are these teams. What was the essence of them as we move on into the off season? Let's breeze through Colorado. Uh, uh, Colorado might as well be Colorado. Uh, Stanford <laughs> versus the Cougs. <laughs> <laughs> now, no one stayed up to watch this one. Like uh, everybody had the app on. Yeah, I had it on. Like every Stanford game, I have it on the side screen because I'm a sucker for punishment. Um, <laughs> <laughs> this game was so stupid and like uh <laughs> yeah Stanford in the fourth quarter tries to make it close they score 14 points they don't cover the only the only thing that we need to talk about is the fact that BYU did what they should have done and what every team should do against Stanford which is like not care about passing and just run the football I mean they were yeah. I think they had like 45 tries for like 600 yards basically J- Jared Hall had 11 passes the whole game <laughs> Two of them were touchdowns, by the way. Um, Christopher Burks had to like feel good, like uh, you know, going back to his Cal days. You yeah, know? like just ran ran all over the Stanford defense. Uh, pack pack it up. Look for look for next year. Uh, Stanford uh, didn't do like, but truthfully though, like Stanford didn't do enough through the air against a really bad BYU defense. That his defensive coordinator stepped down today <laughs> or yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, no you're right you're right. i mean like it's it, it just uh, the, this team is flawed and um they had too much talent even even with a bad offensive line mckee and, and those wide receivers i know some of them were banged up there was too there were too many good players on that field to to deliver the season that they had offensively and i know that you they couldn't run the ball and that allowed teams to to sit back and, and dare mckee to throw it but but even yeah. so there were some really good players on that team and um, it was just disappointing. Let, let's move to Utah Cal. Um, Utah thirty-five. I'm sorry. Uh, UCLA Cal. U, UCLA thirty-five. Cal twenty-eight. Um, you know, Cal <laughs> kind of made a game of this for a while. <laughs> so I was like, oh no. Never let Cal look confident enough. <laughs> like, how embarrassing! Like, there's so many Pac-12 defenses this season who like made that made a grievous error. Oh gosh. And made, like it was just it's like a, a true measure of how terrible defense was in the Pac-12. How many times this awful Cal offense looked like they had a heartbeat? Jack Plummer, 294 for touchdown, for four touchdowns, no picks <laughs> against this dumb team. Um, they already and, fired their offensive coordinator and offensive line coach. Oh gosh, I forgot about that. It's, it's, what a freaking bizarre game. Now, to UCLA's credit, right? They get hit in the mouth in this first quarter. And I, because I had UCLA nine and a half, and they come back and they make a game of it. They 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 kind of put the game out of reach for the most part in that second half, right? They come back, score ten points in the second half or second quarter, and and they're scoring, and they and then they do they make this decision. They're on Cal's, and I'm I'm curious what you think here. They're on Cal's twenty five, and they're up a touchdown, and there's about a minute and forty left in the game, and it's fourth and three. It's not fourth and one. It's not fourth and inches. It's a fourth and three. They're in field goal range. You kick a field goal. It's a two possession game with a minute 35 against, against Cal who, who really hadn't done much in the second half. I think, I think UCLA was able to make enough adjustments to, to keep this, this game out of reach. You kick the field goal two two possession game. You don't, you give the ball back to Cal with a chance to tie or win. And that's what UCLA did. They went for it on fourth and three. They didn't get it. They give Cal the chance to win. I like, look again, I'm not, I, I, where is it? It was at the 28. It was at the 20. I thought it was even closer. It was like, 
I want to say it was the 25. All right, hold on. I got the I got the play by play up. It was the 22. Yeah. Right, that's field that's legit field goal range where you feel fairly confident. So that's going to be a what? A 37-yarder? Yeah. No, a 39-yard field goal. Okay. All right. So like so like here's like UCLA special teams grade out at 66 in beta rank. Um, and a lot of that is the kicker. Okay. Uh, has been okay. Not great. Um, I'd say like, I, I mean, here, like, so to flip it around is like UCLA was very smart in this game and like Cal can't stop the run. <laughs> and, like UCLA <laughs> ran 352 yards in this game. Like they really ran all over Cal. Um, Sherman had himself a game. Um, you know, for the most part, getting five a carry, and then you know everybody else was sort of chipping in for like you know you know beer chunk yards around him. Um, I thought I mean I I do understand it because like you have run the ball so effectively against them in large part, um, and maybe you don't have that much faith in your kicker at this point. I don't know. Like I mean, I, I am with you on that one. Like, if you have a decent kicker that you have any faith in, like you should go up two scores. Like UCLA, I don't think at that point, um, as late as that was in the game, right? Like you don't, you're not, you're not looking at it as at that point saying, "Oh my gosh, I don't want to," you know, like any touchdowns instead of um, field goals, right? Like, you, if you can go up two possessions, you would salt the game away. Then they, they largely got, you know, like, or they, yeah, they, they largely got pretty lucky, I think. You could you could say, like, it, that um, the cow ends up fumbling. Yeah, it was, it was just bizarre. Because, like, you make the field goal, you go up two scores, or you give them the chance to, I, I guess if you, if you get the first down, the game's over. I don't know. It, it was, just, it was a bizarre like I mean, UCLA's had a good year. They've been able to run the ball. The offense is starting to hum. They need to figure out the defense. Um, I don't. Did they fire? Uh, what's his face? He hasn't been traveling with the team, but it doesn't sound like he got fired. Their defensive coordinator. I don't know. This is like there's like so there's like it's been like five weeks that he has not been with the team. They called it illness. Um, you know, an illness issue. I don't know. Like, I, I could totally see them, like, moving on and just being like, all right, we're just going to call an illness and we won't fire you in the middle of the season. But that also seems like an odd approach, too. Just, like, just fire somebody, right? Like, yeah, it is strange. All right, we'll move on to the Territorial Cup. we got to keep things going here. Arizona 38, Arizona State 35. This game was a delight. It was just <laughs> a, a beautiful – and, and, again, not, not just because it was Arizona, right? Like, where Arizona loves – like, th- this game was just so bonkers. I think there was like five, is it five or six? Arizona has the turnover cactus sword and there were so many turnovers that they ran out of space on it. Like it was just right. so ridiculous. You know, I, I was on, I was on the wrong side multiple times on that. Like I took Arizona minus four. They didn't cover. Um, and, and it took six turnovers for them barely to win this game. Um, you know, uh, Trent Borquet, Borquet. Oh my gosh. I keep forgetting. I keep mispronouncing. I'm listening to the games too. Um, you know, kind of lit Arizona up to to some extent. Like he was finding his wide receivers. He had three touchdowns, but the two picks were the big deal. Um, and you know, ultimately, even though Delora had a, a Delora game, 
Arizona did what some teams weren't really doing against ASC was just run the ball over and over again yeah. and and yeah. win. <laughs> That's what they did. I mean, look, this is a bad game for Delora. You know, like yeah. he's twelve or twenty three. He threw a pick. You know, on top of it, um, I gotta say, like the uh, so I rolled out a new points prediction model for Beta Rank, and it had ASU by one in huh. this in that. And I was like, I had actually like you open up the box score, like I feel pretty good about the model that yeah. ASU because yeah. it, I mean Arizona finished minus four in turnover. I mean, so like it's, there's good things for both teams to feel good. About. I mean, like feel good about themselves when like is you know Arizona got the win, but if you're an ASU fan, like you know like ASU largely played better than Arizona in this game, um, and Arizona had to rely on turnovers instead of getting stopped. Um, in the game because it, it the, the defense Arizona's defense was really I mean people are going to point to the turnovers but Arizona's defense was really bad in this game I mean against the and, and I say this is like I mean they were getting worked by a former walk-on quarterback and a guy that last called plays in high school yeah yeah I mean that's kind of why I was saying this was a delight <laughs> like they they played hard <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I, if you're an AC fan, look, it was a tough loss, but the team played hard. The team, the team really came out. The and- game was awesome. Like there was this weird headline in one of the, like in the Phoenix paper that they was like, oh, that he hadn't really shined in the game. Like the dude balled out and carried ASU. He did have the two picks. Um, I mean, the real star for Arizona was Michael Wiley. Yeah. Um, and maybe Jacob Manu, who had himself a game defensively, like and and, and did get in Borde's face a couple times and caused some fumbles. Um, but like Michael Wiley was unbelievable for Arizona. Um, and, and Coleman had, I mean, there were some there were some really yards to be had. It was interesting because like we talked like ASU was dropping into coverage to try to take away Arizona's passing weapons. Um, and Arizona hasn't run the ball a ton in this game, and they really more lean much more heavily on the running game. Yeah, there, there was the big run by Wiley at the end that really kind of yeah. kept them in the game. So the, the stats are a little a, a little shaky, but even without that, like he was he was still at like 125, 130. And um, they, they were just able to open some things up, which which was interesting. The the last thing I should to, to I, well, I guess we don't really mention too much more on this. Like we, we talked about the coaching change. Um, it'll be interesting to see if Arizona changes the defensive coordinator because they they need help on that front. But overall, for for if you're an ASU fan, like I, given all the things that happened, I thought they played really hard in this game, and they've they've played yeah. hard in a couple other games too. They they've rolled over in one or two, but for the most part, um, Borgay really has brought. I, I thought it was a good decision to bring him in and really to to lean on him. I think it kind of gave a spark to the team. So. Um, We'll we'll see. I think there's still some talent on this team, although you know the transfer portal is going to be um, shaky this this year given the the uncertainty. So hopefully, hopefully, uh, Dillingham's able to to piece together that team and that roster because um, you know it, it was nice to see them extremely competitive and and in a game that they should have won. Uh, so I mean, it was kind of funny because like, like ASU had sort of famously under Herm like said like they weren't going to do and and Ray Anderson saying they weren't going to do nil, you know. Um, and like during Dillingham's press conference, that like it was a pretty obvious plant, right? They're like talking about like, oh, we need to like raise money for it. And like some guy stands up like as if like on cue and says, "I'll donate a million dollars to 
Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> like you need. I mean, ASU needs it. I mean, they're going to need. They're going to need to hit the portal hard. You know, to put together a roster. Um, you know, and, and fix some holes in the current roster, particularly on defense. But like, I, I just want to say, like for the most part, and we have seen attempts. I mean, like UCLA and USC got both got some of the high, more highly regarded defensive players within the portal that went into the portal in this last year. I just I think it's a lot harder to build defense through the portal. Um, I just don't think you get the same kind of guys. Um, entering the portal on the defensive side, at least thus far. So, like, I think if you've got a bad defense, you you might have to build that at home. Huh. You know, that that's interesting. We'll have to keep an eye on that. I think there are some good players that can add right. an element, right? So, for Arizona, Hunter Eccles clearly has made a difference. Yeah. Um, uh, but Arizona's defense still like, sucks. <laughs> I don't think you could, like, restart. Like, I don't think you could... Like, so what you could do is you could retool your skill position players. Like you could argue USC did on offense. I just, I don't think you can retool the whole defense. Yeah. Right? And I also don't think like, I don't think there are enough offensive or defensive linemen to like really retool those units either. But yeah. Um, we'll keep a lookout for that. That's a good call. Um, all right, let's get to this game here. So uh, the, the cha- Pac-12 championship in Las Vegas, USC is a three point favorite in the rematch against Utah. I was shocked uh, by this because, and, and like I, you know, you try not to buy into the previous game, right? I think I think USC handled Notre Dame fairly well, but I've been watching this U- Utah team. Like I just don't think they're that good, and I think that uh, Cam Rising has. I think he's injured. Like he's not. This team is not as good as it's been in the past. Um, I don't know if they have the juice to be able to keep up with USC. I'm curious what the numbers say. So this is interesting because like beta rank is actually <laughs> beta rank is lower on the Utes in this game than maybe any other model, and almost every ever almost every model has Utah favored by more than beta rank. Beta rank has Utah as a very slight favorite in this game. Oh, um, like very very slight by like less than a point. Like 0.75 on a neutral site. It is, um, you know, it's predicted score of Utah 34.5, USC 33 at 0.75. You know, so really, like almost a toss up. Um, ESPN and, you know, the FBI, SP Plus, they're all favoring. I mean, the models are all leaning towards the Utes. But I think part of it is, is frankly, is like I'm a little con- like if I'm going to call out like something that I think has happened in the data is like I think the Utah defense has had a little wind aid, like they've got a little wind at their back. Like they got Arizona on a terrible night for throwing the football around, where Arizona had seven fumbles, um, and it looked like that that was the first game that really bumped up their defensive numbers. And then they got the Oregon game where Bo Nix can't could not plant and throw. Um, and so I'm just like, they're, they're good against the run. Like, I do want to say this, like, I think Utah is good against the run. Yeah. Um, you know, and I, like, I will stand by that. I think there are some other like EPA based systems that are saying like, Oh, Utah like sucks against the run. I'm like, yeah, no, like Utah's pretty good at stopping the run. Like their bad numbers against the run came mostly from their, that Florida game, um, early on in the season. They are, they do struggle against the pass. And they struggle to, to generate pass rush. Um, they're going to get so they're at forty six in effective pass. Like USC, I think is good. 
really got their own football. I mean, they're at number three in uh, on offense in beta rank. They're at number three in effective pass overall. Uh, and I think if you do, like we saw against Notre Dame, if you do end up going with a lighter box to drop more guys, you know, they can hurt you. You know, they're not overwhelming with it, but they can hurt you running the football. Um, I think with – so that's part of it. I mean, to your point, too, like this Utah offense grades out at number 17 – their numbers have flipped a little bit of late because they have faced some really bad defenses that struggle to stop the run, you know, really getting Stanford and um, Arizona, I think really, and Colorado too, I think really helped them look like a more daunting running team than they are. Like, I still think if you remember against the, against USC, like Utah threw the ball a ton um, against USC. And, and I think they're going to have like, this USC defense is not good. Right. Like, I think Utah is going to be able to put up some points against them. But I'm just interested because, like, that Oregon's defense isn't good. And Utah did not look great in that game. No. Like, so, like and that's like, that's what kind of worries me here is like, Colorado, I think, is, is fully given up. Stanford could care less for the most part. Um, you know, like, I just, I don't know. Like, I, like, Oregon does not have a good defense. They just don't. And, and like that, that game in particular just concerns me. I'm there. There are a couple things from the previous game, and just you know, you don't want to look at one game, one matchup, and go, "Oh, well, here's the here's here's the deal." But when right. you when you add it to all the things that we've seen of this Utah team recently, right? So, so in the previous game. USC goes on the road to just a, a nasty environment. Like it is really freaking hard to play in Salt Lake City. And it was like the it was the, the game where they were celebrating the the two players that had been, yep. you know, horrendously shot, like and, and you know, it and killed it with gunshot was and and Utah had to score 15 points in the fourth quarter to come back and win that game, including a two-point conversion. <laughs> All right? So, right. so like, USC was in the driver's seat in an awful environment. And credit to Utah from being able to come back. Additionally, Cam Rising was was as healthy as I've seen him, right? He torched USC, but he threw yeah. to Dalton Kincaid, and that was kind of it. Now, I know some of the other players caught passes, but, like, you got to think that USC is basically going to say, like, look, Rising's injured. Kincaid, like, just, just limit Kincaid. Now, <laughs> it's easier said than done, but, you know, scheme around making sure that Kincaid doesn't beat you because frankly, that was what Utah or what Oregon was able to do, right? Like just don't throw to Kincaid. Like they doubled Kincaid forced rising to throw bad passes to him. Um, right. Make the well, one. Take, I mean, put your best corner on Vele and put your best nickel and safety, have them double Kincaid. Yeah. Beat us. Who else do you have to worry about? Nobody. And, I mean, and money, like, money parks. Not really. You know, like there's just nobody else there that you're terribly concerned with. Yeah, I think I think Utah scores. Th- I'm not gonna like they'll score 30 points in this game, or you know maybe 20, right. 28 points. But USC, I mean, like I don't trust. I don't think Utah's defense is all that good, and I think USC is gonna get their 40 points. Like I think I don't. I don't think this game is super complicated. You know, you USC can throw the ball. Utah's okay against the pass. And I think that's the key to the game. <laughs> that's the key to the game. I don't think there's anything else here. I mean, there could yeah. be crazy stuff. There could be turnovers and all that. But I don't know. Like, I this is one where it just doesn't seem all that all that complicated. Well, I mean, like you, like you know, Cam, you know, you know, not, um, Caleb Williams 
got what he wanted against Utah in that. I mean, like Utah's defense had a horrible game in that game, right? Like Caleb Williams got 381 through the air, you know, five touchdowns. I mean, he had a game, you know, against the vaunted Utah pass defense, right? Like they got smoked in that game. Um, you know, and, and on top of it, like, and this is where maybe not having Travis Dye could really hurt them the most. Yeah. Like, because um, Dye had a pretty good game running the football as well. Um, but that's where, like, I'm, I'm interested here because, like, this was one of Utah's worst performances stopping the run. And maybe they, maybe it opened up because guys were, you know, <clears throat> out there, um, you know, dropping back to, to, to try to take away passing because Williams was lighting him up so much. Um, but, you know, like they're, they, I mean, Travis Dye averaged 6.9 a carry. He only, his longest was 20. It's not like, he, you know, that was only like 170 yard run. Um, and I just, I, I think, I mean, I'd be a little, like, I'm a little, con- like, I, I'm a little concerned if I'm Utah because, like, we, I, I'm just, I, again, like, I don't think this defense is as good as this this ranking in beta rank. I think they did get a little help. Um, and I really, you're right. I mean, like, I just, I worry about the health of this offense. Like, I don't think us like USC's defense doesn't strike me as like, they're not good. We've had this conversation ad nauseum, right? Like they're, he's just going to put up some points in this game for sure. I mean, USC is giving up two, almost two and a half points per drive, just in raw stats. Um, that's horrendous. And they give up a ton of big plays. They're 78 in effective, effective rush. They're 86 in effective pass. But, like, in this game last time, like, Rising really threw the ball around. I mean, he threw for, for 415. You know, Utah had a and but Rising was also their most effective runner. Yeah. Wow, yeah. Long shot. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Micah Bernard wasn't great. Tavian Thomas wasn't great. I mean, Tavian Thomas, I think, already declared for the NFL draft. I think he already decided he was done. I think there's something else going on back there with him, I think. So, it's, I mean, Jaquindon Jackson is probably in a ton of carries in this game. Um, I don't know. I just, I, if, look, if, if Keithy is still healthy, I just think this is maybe a different game. Don't you? I mean, I, like, this one just feels harder, like, like, with Rising's knee, he's had a pretty hefty knee brace the last couple of weeks. He didn't seem terribly mobile against Oregon, you know, and like they they seemed really ineffective against the Ducks offensively. Yeah, I'm I'm worried. He's you know if he's not running around doing stuff, which is which is where and we've talked about how USC has issues with mobile quarterbacks. So unless he gets that shot and he's running around and he doesn't feel anything, uh. And, and I agree with you too. Like if he had Keithy and two options, I think that makes things different, but I just think this Utah team is limited this year. And on, on paper, they look, you know, it's the same uniform. It's the, you know, it's the same scheme, but I just don't think all the pieces are there. Just don't throw it to Clark Phillips. <laughs> right. Right. I mean, but I don't even think like, I mean, Phillips is going to get, I mean, with as much time as, as Caleb Williams might be able to buy against this really substandard, Utah pass rush, um, you know, like, and, and the truth is, I mean, like, look, I think there's definitely some streakiness in, um, the overall 
you know, the USC turnover margin on the defensive side, right? Like they've had some pretty solid turnover luck. And they're not, it's not just, I know it's luck because they're also not doing things that you normally associate with generating turnovers, like generating all like a huge pass rush numbers and sacks and stuff like that. They're not doing that. Um, what I do think is impressive though, is that they, they largely haven't turned the ball over on the offensive side and like give a ton of credit to Caleb Williams, the wide receivers there. Um, so like Utah might need to finish. I mean, I, I think to hang, they might need to finish at least plus, plus one on turn. I mean, not to hang, but like to win the game, they're probably gonna have to finish at least plus one, probably plus two on turnovers. Yeah, it's wild. It's just a, it'll be, it'd be a fun game to watch. We'll keep a lookout. I mean, maybe they're maybe they're pulling the okie doke on us, and like Rising's just wearing a huge brace, and he's fine. But I mean, it's like it's like they moved the ball okay in that Oregon game. It, was, it wasn't as bad as the final stat line or as the final score looked. But um, but he didn't look himself. He just didn't. No. Yeah. No, and I, I refuse. Like I just I, I'm not going to take anything away from like oh they put you know they waxed Colorado. And I'm like you know. Yeah, <laughs> like, <laughs> or I mean, even Stanford. Like it's it's the it's the it's the Oregon. Like because like the Pac-12 has doesn't have enough really competitive games. I think the thing to flip it though that could just terrify you, right? That was like even as wounded as this Utah offense is, is like the. I mean, USC made a game of it with Cal. I mean, they are fully capable. Like, the, the defense isn't playing with their food. They are fully capable of being incompetent enough to, like, just let Utah score a ton of points. <laughs> yeah, well, well, we'll keep it out. Like, we're, we're excited to cover it. It should be an interesting game. I don't think it's going to be as exciting as it could have been in the past. But, you know. We'll uh, we'll see what we get. Uh, you know, best of luck to both teams, Rob. We have bowl season, we have coaching decisions, and all that coming up. So stay with us, everyone. Uh, thanks for joining. Anything else to plug? Uh, check out the new points model on BetaRank. I'm really excited for that. We have predicted scores for each team um, for each game lined up. Uh, that model did 55% against the spread this week. Um, and then the FCS is a lot of fun. So there's some, there's some pretty good FCS games this week. And like that first week of, um, the FCS playoffs are actually kind of important. We don't get enough non-conference games in FCS. So like we have a pretty good idea, much better idea again of like how the team should be sorted after this week. Right on. All right, everybody will stick with us. We will catch you next week.